This episode of Two True Freaks is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades.com offers 37% off all major publishers. InStockTrades.com offers free shipping for orders over $50. Most orders are shipped within 48 hours, and there are thousands of titles currently in stock. That's InStockTrades.com. And be sure to tell them Two True Freaks sent you. Two True Freaks reaches thousands of listeners each and every month. If you would like to sponsor an episode, please stay tuned after this show for details. He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hello and welcome to Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke. This is an internet radio program devoted solely to the life and publishing history of the baddest, badass bounty hunter ever to roam the Old West, Jonah Woodson Hex. This is Episode 7 and I am Scott Gardner. Hi, how you doing? For those of you that have been wondering, where in the hell is the Jonah Hex podcast and what is Scott up to, I refer you to episode 130 of Two True Freaks, an episode entitled Newsflash, in which I kind of sort of laid out what is going on with me personally and my little hiatus from podcasting. However, I had a little time on my hands, so I thought I would try to throw together an episode of this show because, well, frankly... I really miss podcasting, and I really love doing this show, so here I am. I have been absolutely inundated with well wishes through emails and Facebook posts and PMs and forum posts and everything, just all kinds of folks wishing me well, wanting to keep up with my situation, everything like that, and I just want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate your prayers and well wishes and everything. Thank you, guys. It uh, it really helps get me through a difficult time. As a quick little update, things are going very well, and I'm hoping to have some really good news to report soon. But I don't want to put the uh, cart before the horse, so to speak, so I'll refrain from getting too much into it right now just because I'm a superstitious lot and I don't want to jinx things. Also, I thought you'd get a kick out of this. I recently got to spend the day at Walt Disney World, and it was a lot of fun. I was there completely by myself, which is a very odd experience, at least for me. I had never been there completely on my own before, and I thought it would be a blast. And it was a lot of fun, don't get me wrong, but it was also really strange and couldn't get over the fact of just feeling kind of guilty that I was there, you know, without my wife or kids or any of my friends that I know would just, you know, give their left arms to go as well. So kind of strange, but I realized after I left the Magic Kingdom, I never went to Frontierland. Ah, oh, I feel like I betrayed the show somehow. <laughs> Anyhow, let's go ahead and jump right into this episode, and I want to start with some emails. First one this week is from my buddy Damian Crawford, and he writes, Some more random thoughts. He starts out commenting about the uh, phone book reference that he made last time around. He says, That was in reference to episode 100, I think, where you and Chris read a phone book interlaced with random talk about the show and other topics. That's correct. And what he's talking about was uh, episode 100 of Two True Freaks. 
we actually did read the phone book in that one. He had said something in a previous email about, you know, he would listen to me even read the phone book, and I said something like, been there, done that. But I didn't know if he was making a direct reference to that episode, and he actually was. So I, I got a kick out of that. I thought it was funny. He continues, have read a little further with the showcase, and must say, even with a few predictable stories, there were some that surprised me. They probably seem predictable because I'd been weaned on this stuff and can see some of the plot twists coming. I'm sure when they were coming out, this was not the case. It also doesn't help that I happen to listen to an old episode of Back to the Bins where you talk about an ending to an upcoming story. Uh, whoops, sorry about that. Overall, the showcase has been an enjoyable read and worth the 10 bucks I paid. Yeah, this is sparse in details, but I want to respect your other listeners that were not tempted to read ahead. Reading in one of the back issue mags I bought, they mentioned the Hex series from 85. I must tell you, keeping this spoiler free, the concept of the series, to steal a phrase, is in my wheelhouse. I'm going to do more research on this series and see how cheap I will be able to get it. My understanding is you can get that one really cheap because not a lot of people hold that series in very high regard. I'm one of the few. I really, really dig that series and I highly recommend it. If you're open-minded to the concept of that series, then I can almost guarantee that you're really going to dig it. He wraps up by saying, You seem to be having a ball with the show and hope that continues for you in the long haul. Because I know how important it is to have something to get your mind off the crazy things in life, <laughs> that's for sure. Keep up the good work, Damien Crawford. Thank you, Damien. I appreciate that. Next one up is from Stan Johnston, and this is in regards to episode 6. He writes, Scott, that was an awesome story about the Western comic collection you got all those years ago. That's in reference to the uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans comics I bought way, way, way back when I was a kid. It says, while Westerns have, for the most part, never translated well to comics for me, it would have been a thrill to come across something like that simply because of the age of the comics. I was always excited when I found something old, even if it was an issue of... Chili? <laughs> That's what he wrote here. I've never heard of a Chili comic. Or Our Army at War. When I was about 14, I met an uncle of my oldest brother's wife and was surprised to learn that he had a collection of Golden Age comics. Of course, he was a crotchety old bastard and I never actually got to read any of them. But I had delusions of endearing myself to him somehow so that he would will his comics to me. Turned out I wasn't that endearing. <laughs> Maybe he was just that much of a crotchety old bastard. <laughs> You asked for comments on the Jonah Hex showcase having content that doesn't feature the title character. I have been watching a couple copies of this on eBay, but didn't realize there was anything other than Hex stories included. The Outlaw strip from All-Star Western 2 through 8 accounts for the non-Hex content, and the fact that DC includes this bothers me. If I bought a Superman showcase, I wouldn't expect to find 20% of the book filled with Metal Men stories. And I don't expect to find unrelated material in a Jonah Hex volume either. Yes, the stories are from the title that spawned Hex, but they have zip to do with Jonah. Instead of including the outlaw stories, DC should have used the space for Weird Western 34 through 38, which would have wrapped up all of Hex's appearances prior to moving into his own title. I absolutely agree with you, and I don't know why in the hell they didn't do that. I mean, why split it there? It, it, it makes zero sense to me, and I've been pondering this for quite a while, trying to figure it out. The only thing I can think of is that maybe they have some plan in the long run to reprint both Weird Western and the first Jonah Hex series, and the way they're splitting the issues up, that's just where it ends. But then, like you say, why include all this stuff that's non-Jonah content? I, I, it's a mystery to me. I can't figure it out. I, you know, on the one hand, I, I kind of feel like, yeah, that's kind of cool that they threw those in there. But at the same rate, it it just it just doesn't belong. It, you know, it's kind of an issue I have with that volume to begin with because the showcase, just by the cover that they used on that, and then throwing in All Star two through eight, it, it really would give the casual observer the the feeling that this is a Western book, which it is. Don't get me wrong. Yes, Jonah is a Western character, but he's not. 
a, a typical Western character, and I think what makes Jonah Hex what he is, what makes him appealing, is that he transcends his medium. So by throwing the cover on there that they did, of which looks like a cowboy lighting a cigarette while Indians are sneaking up on him from behind, and then also throwing in that extra content from the older issues of All-Star Western before Jonah even debuted, it, it just makes that volume that much more scream Western. And I, I think that's a huge mistake. I, I think that's just really a bad marketing move. They, they would have been better off marketing the character on his true strengths. And I think that the Western angle, actually I think that's, that's the thing that, that's the uh, handicap, if you will, that Hex has to overcome. It, it's almost like, to a lesser degree, it's almost like The Walking Dead. You know, the, the objections I hear from the people that don't check that book out or, or whatever is that, oh, I don't like horror or I don't like zombies. You know, that book has really little to do with horror and zombies. It's more of a morality tale or a human survival or whatever, you know. I feel like Hex has to deal with the same sort of thing. Anyway, Stan continues, That said, I will probably still buy the showcase, but it seems a bit like a bait-and-switch to me. As for the featured comic of this episode, Weird Western number 14, the best part of the whole issue was when Hex tossed the guy out the window. I could totally see a scene like that in an old John Wayne Western. Well, if you like guys getting tossed out of windows, stick around, because there's more of that. Later, he says, Stan Johnston. And I've got one more letter to read for this episode, and it also happens to be by Stan. And he entitles this one, No Flowery Clichés. He says, Scott, just wanted to say that I am indeed keeping a good thought and including you in my prayers as you search for work. Sorry to hear about your situation, but I totally understand your desire to keep your personal life to yourself. I also appreciate the fact that you are so open with your reason for stepping away from podcasting for the time being. It would have been easy enough to just left it at taking some personal time. I won't insult you with platitudes, but do wish you and your family the best, Stan. Thank you, Stan. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I realized as soon as I listened back to that Newsflash episode that uh, I made a big goof in that. Which was, I never mentioned the fact that this uh, move to Florida, you know, this this come to Florida seeking work thing, I had to leave my family behind for this. I mean, I'm here solo. I'm here all by myself. My, my wife and my kids uh, are still in Georgia. Hopefully that's a situation I'll be able to rectify pretty soon. Like I say, you know, things are moving along very nicely. And uh, the hope is that uh, my wife will be able to uh, transfer through her job. And we're already in the process of looking for, you know, places, you know, to to either rent or buy in this area. So I won't bore you with those details. But uh, one of the reasons I'm recording this episode right now today is, frankly, I'm bored and I'm lonely. (laughs) I just wanted to talk to you guys. I I really have missed doing this and it's really been nice to have have gotten, you know, the the messages I have from you guys, you know, the the listeners to the show that that love it and miss it too and keeps, you know, encouraging me and and but also along with the encouragement there's been kind of that elbow in the ribs going, "Come on, you know, when are you going to get another episode out?" So, here you are. I've missed you guys, so here's another episode. I can't guarantee I'm back on any sort of regular schedule or weekly basis or anything like that, but kind of what's going on right now is uh, I'm just waiting for the word of when to start work, so I'm kind of in this weird gray period of I think I've got the job, but uh, until they call me up and say, okay, come to work, I'm stuck. I got really, I've literally got nothing to do, so... Here we go. I'm going to knock out an episode. Anyway, that's enough about all that. Let's move forward in my notes. A couple of quick recommendations for you. Back issue magazine number 42 is a Jonah Hex-centric issue. However, I can only make a recommendation that far. Here's the kick in the head for you. (laughs) I ordered this book. You know, I order all my books ahead of time. You know, like so many of us do. I order them online through an online service. And it came last week. However, it came to the Georgia address. So here I am breathlessly anticipating this issue, and now I can't read it. 
to add insult to injury, last month from Tomorrow's Publishing, who puts out Back Issue Magazine, I ordered Back Issue Magazine number 41, and just on a whim, I ordered Alter Ego Magazine, I forget what issue number it was, 70 or 71, something like that. And last month, they offered both of them for free on their website as PDF downloads. <sighs> but I'd already bought the issues. I already had the issues. So now this month, I've already bought Back Issue Magazine number 42, but of course they didn't offer the free PDF for that one this month, so I still don't have it to read. <laughs> so that kind of sucks. <laughs> I was, I'm really looking forward to that issue, though. It should be uh, It should be a really good one. Also, I would like to recommend that showcase. Despite my beefs with it and everything, um, you know, it still is the best way to see this material on the cheap. Also, if you do buy the showcase, please, please use InStockTrades.com to order that. And please tell them that you heard of their service and you got the recommendation from me, Scott Gardner, on Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke the Jonah Hex podcast. I would greatly appreciate that. And so this episode, we are looking at two, count them, two issues of Weird Western Tales. First up is number 15. Now, before you panic, those of you out there who have the trade, before you go, oh, my trade is missing issue number 15. Well, there's a reason for that. Jonah Hex does not appear in Weird Western Tales number 15. That's why that issue is not in your showcase. So don't panic. It was an intentional omission. So Weird Western Tales number 15. I'm just going to cover the basics on this real quick because Jonah isn't in the issue. That was the December-January 1972-1973 issue. Original cover price was 20 cents. Cover was by Neil Adams. Really nice cover showing uh, El Diablo riding his horse Lucifer. And he's galloping toward these guys that are all brandishing shotguns. And it's a really dynamic, very nice cover. Although, I have to make a confession. This is the only issue in my collection of weird western tales and indeed of any jonah hex comic that is coverless you know i just i've never bothered to replace it simply because jonah's not in this issue so you know i would like to have a, a you know I, I pride myself on having a collection of comics that are typically in really nice shape really good condition and i take care of my books i pride myself on that However, I just haven't really gotten around to replacing this particular one. One of these days I will, because I do like this uh, this El Diablo story that's in there, but eh, it's just not one of the uh, quote-unquote prized you know, issues of the collection, because Joan ain't in it. Anyway, uh, the El Diablo story in this one is by Carrie Bates and Neil Adams, and it's noteworthy for the, the Adams art, of course. It's absolutely gorgeous, but also... The main bad guy in this, I'm not kidding, looks like John Lennon. He totally does. Even he's down to the round glasses. He looks like John from like the Let It Be era. So it's it's actually pretty cool. There's a couple other stories in there. One's called Hang 'Em High by Jack. Uh, I believe the last name is pronounced Olek. That's how I'm going to pronounce it anyway. O L E C K. And Gil Kane, and I'm really curious, I'm pretty sure that this story is a reprint, although I'm not sure where it's reprinted from, if it is a reprint, but I'd be curious to know, if it is reprinted from an older story, which Hang 'em High came first, this story or the Clint Eastwood movie? Uh, that I don't know, but I'd be curious to find out. Also, there's another one called The Ballad of Doc Satan. There's no credits on this, and I don't know about the veracity of my information, but what I found says that it was done by a guy named Bill Draut. D-R-A-U-T. Draut? Drought? I don't know. Anyway, the letters page of this issue does have some letters concerning Jonah Hex. There's one from a Larry Lerner that says, Jonah Hex is the best thing you have ever come up with, bar none. He is really daringly different, possibly being the most imaginative and innovative thing to hit comics since the printing press. My advice is to run it forever. 
and let the rest of your staff learn from it. It really hits me in the gut, it says. <coughs> the uh, editor here even goes so far as to explain why Jonah Hex is not in this issue. He says, uh, Before you readers bombard our offices, Tony was in the process of moving, and rather than give the story to another artist, we've decided to wait until next time. The letter that really jumped out at me, though, was from Sylvan Oppenheimer. And he writes, Jonah Hex needs an origin and continuity if he is to continue. So far, he has been interesting, but I have found it a little hard to sympathize with Jonah since we know so little about him. And since the series seems to be so excessively violent for that period in history, the 1860s and 1870s. And I want to, you know, just interjecting for a moment, I wonder what this guy even knows about the 1860s and 1870s because... You know, the Civil War falls right in the middle of that, and, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find a bloodier epic in American history. Anyway, he says, When I say that Jonah Hex is excessively violent for the post-Civil War period, I mean he is violent for a man who is neither an outlaw, a lawman, nor an Indian fighter. I would at least expect a killer like Jonah to be much of an anti-hero as he is to be entertaining. Batlash is easier to identify with. I will totally disagree with that point. But I like what the uh, editors wrote back. They said, as for the origin of Hex, is there really a beginning to any person or a slow process which makes that person what he is? It would be far better to learn his character slowly to observe what he is instead of where he comes from. We will be showing more glimpses into Jonah's past but done naturally within the context of a story, not some origin issue. After all, Jonah is a man, not a superhero. He really doesn't have an origin. I really like that response, and in a lot of ways, I wish that they had stuck to their guns on that, so to speak. But uh, we will eventually get the origin of Jonah X. <laughs> so there you go. Although, in fairness, a lot of that origin issue, at least the, the, the one that you know proclaims itself to be an origin issue right on the cover, really comes down to being the origin of Jonah's scarred face. The true origin, as, as I consider it, the thing that really is behind Jonah's motivations or what, that does come naturally and slowly through the progression of the series. And within the next, um, I don't know, dozen or so issues at some point i forget exactly what issue it is but we will start to touch on the civil war angles in jonah's past that that i feel make him really the the, the guy that he is the el diablo story in this issue weird western tales number 15 is reprinted in jonah hex and other western tales number two so moving right along, let's get into Weird Western Tales number 16. This is the February-March 1973 issue. Original cover price is 20 cents. Cover credits, Nick Cardi is, from what I've been able to find anyway, the uh, cover artist on this. I could not find his signature anywhere on there, so again, um, you know, the uh, veracity of that information is uh, somewhat up for grabs. But, I, you know, this is an odd cover for this one because Jonah is relegated to the banner at the very top of the page just simply saying, you know, Weird Western Tales, and then it shows his half-shadowed face. It's, you know, his scarred half is in shadow. He's wearing his Confederate hat, and it just says Jonah Hex plus El Diablo. But El Diablo is the cover-featured character. And it's really strange. He's It, it looks like there's been this old-fashioned bar brawl and you see that the place is just a mess, and a guy standing at the bar is whirling and firing at El Diablo, but El Diablo is drawn all black and white and wispy like a phantom or a ghost, and the bullet is going right through him. It's a dynamic cover. It's pretty cool, but it's also, to me, it's strangely reminiscent of art you would see in, like, Mad Magazine or something like that. It's it, That's just what it reminds me of, especially the expressions on the people's faces. But it's a good cover. I, I like it. I just, uh, I naturally prefer Jonah Hex covers, but it is a pretty good one. 
The lead feature inside the magazine is El Diablo, and a story called Vengeance of the Ghost Victims, written by Carrie Bates, with art by Alfredo Alcala. Now, you know, despite my usual dislike of Alcala's art, this actually is pretty good. It's it's really nice stuff. It's very tight, and uh, and I didn't mind it. However, the story that we're here for today is Jonah Hex in Grasshopper Courage. Strange title for this one. There are no credits, but it's again written by John Albano and art is by Tony DiZaniga. I do not know who inks on this one. Sometimes I look at this and think that it's DiZaniga inking himself, and then other times, because of certain artistic decisions that were made, I'm not sure if it's him or not. Our story begins on a titleless page as Jonah Hex rides into town astride General, his horse, and asks one of the locals, a man reclining in a chair reading the newspaper with his feet up on the porch rail, if he's seen two men ride into town about an hour ago. Hex begins to describe the men when he suddenly stops and asks the man if he hears Jonah talking to him. The man responds that he hears him, but he's not interested in playing questions and answers. So Hex, whose face is once again presented in half-shadow on the scarred side throughout this entire first page, he calmly dismounts and he ties General to a nearby hitching post, then he proceeds up the steps, and then he kicks the chair out from under the guy, and the guy falls flat on his face. It's a great panel. The man jumps up to his feet, and he's all enraged. He reaches for his gun, and he's threatening to blow Hex's stinking head off. But his buddy, a guy named Josh, who appears to be some sort of like butcher or shopkeeper or something, he quickly talks him down, and he explains to the guy, uh, whose name is Clem, that he is tangling with the wrong man. He says... That's Jonah Hex. And Clem says, it, it is? So Clem is suddenly very cooperative, and he informs Hex that he did indeed see the men that he was inquiring about. They rode in a short time ago and headed straight for the barbershop. So Hex heads off that way, and Clem thanks his friend for saving his life. Then both men stand and ponder what Jonah's business is with those men, and Josh says, Clem? Wherever that man goes, you can be certain that death is following behind. Which is a nice foreshadowing of sorts for the introductory header that Jonah Hex stories are going to carry shortly. In the barbershop, one of the two men Hex seeks witnesses his approach and warns his partner, Will, who is right in the middle of getting a shave. Will bolts up out of the chair, grabs his weapon, and the two attempt to get the drop on Jonah Hex. But Jonah drops first, literally right down into the dusty street as the bullets whiz right over his head and he guns the men down. So we see a great crowd scene of all these people standing around as Hex stands there with his smoking guns and the bodies of the men in the, are in the street. And these people are all saying things like, What happened? A gunfight. Shortest one I ever seen. That feller didn't waste a shot, did he? Sure didn't. Anyone know who he is? I do. Jonah Hex, a professional gunfighter. And there's a nice caption underneath the panel that says, Yes, Jonah Hex, killer of killers, savage hunter of men, a vicious executioner, metting out swift and final justice to lawbreakers for a fee. And we suddenly see this rifle barrel shoved into Jonah's backs, and the guy says, Nice shooting, mister. Only you chose the wrong town to do your killing. Hex whirls on the voice and disarms the man, just as the man proclaims himself sheriff of these parts. The sheriff goes for his gun, but it's too late. Hex already has his own weapon pointed in the man's face. The sheriff comments on what a slippery one Jonah is, and the bounty hunter replies that he doesn't like anybody sneaking up behind him like that. Jonah presents the lawman with a poster for the two dead men, wanted as escaped prisoners who murdered a guard during their break. Everything appears legit, but the sheriff warns Hex not to leave town till he's conducted an investigation, to which Jonah replies that after 30 hours with no sleep, the only place he's heading to is a hotel bed. Just then, as the sheriff retrieves his shotgun that Jonah had knocked out of his hands from the uh, dusty street, he is accosted by Mr. Gowell and other locals for his apparent ineptitude at keeping the town safe. Gowell presents the sheriff with an ultimatum apprehend the Scorch Donegan gang in 48 hours or the town elects a new sheriff. 
The next morning, as he shaves, Hex is visited by Gowl's daughter, Amy. She is sweet on the sheriff, and she wants to engage Hex's services. That's so, Hex says. And just what is it you want done, girl? Luke Little is the town sheriff, Mr. Hex, just as his father was before him. Only trouble is, his father was a famous lawman, efficient, fast on the draw, which is the direct opposite of his dumb offspring. Yes, I'm afraid that's so. But Luke is trying to be like his father, Mr. Hex. If only people would give him a chance. But I'm afraid what happened yesterday has made everyone grow impatient. Like what? The stage was held up. The money that was stolen belonged to the ranchers living in this territory for cattle they had shipped east. Now they've goaded Luke into going after the gang who they believe is responsible. Alone. And I take it you're in love with that half-witted grasshopper, so you want me to accompany him on his pursuit of the outlaws, huh? That, that's true, Mr. Hex. I inherited a good sum of money from my grandfather when I turned 21. I'm willing to pay well for your services. Well, will you do it, Mr. Hex? Nope. The kind of help that inept cub needs for the mission he's going on, he can't get from any mere mortal like me, girl. It'll have to come from up there. And he's pointing straight up at the ceiling. All right, Mr. Hex. Maybe there's some other gunfighter in town who will want to earn this $500. $500? You could have saved yourself a heap of jawn by saying how much money you was willing to pay for my services, girl. Then you'll do it? Ride with Luke when he goes after those outlaws? Girl, for $500, I'd ride to hell and back with your grasshopper lover. And <laughs> we see Hex mounting up on his horse and taking off. So later, Luke is shocked when Jonah proposes to ride with him to apprehend the outlaws, and he calls him out as a hired gun hand who never squeezed a trigger in his life, less than it was a service he was paid for in advance. Jonah takes exception to this, saying it ain't so, and that when he feels it's his civic duty to bring law and order to the West, money never enters his mind. <laughs> just stretching the truth just a little. So several hours later, Luke and Jonah stop at a little place along their way called the Oasis, where the proprietor offers them a drink, but Jonah tells the man that what he wants is information. He inquires about the Scorched Donegan gang, but the man says he doesn't know anything about them and that no one has been by for over four days. So outside, as Luke mounts up, something catches Jonah's eye. Back inside the Oasis, the proprietor's son confronts him about having lied to the two strangers. The proprietor explains that they were after information, and having offered no payment, he wasn't about to give up good-paying customers like the Scorch Donegan gang to any saddle bums for nothing. Then the boy says, Pa, and the man leans down so that the boy can whisper in his ear, Yes, son, that saddle bum is back. And we see Hex leaning in the doorway, witness to this entire exchange. Next panel, on the top of page 10, we see the proprietor sailing headfirst out the front window of the Oasis, just like Mr. Courtney back in episode 3. Hex looms over the man in the street, telling him that he saw fresh tracks all around the Oasis, tracks that couldn't have been more than a few hours old. The man denies any knowledge, and so Hex says he has no choice but to enforce the law, a new law, one that he's just made up, in fact, that the man broke when he lied to the sheriff. And as Hex tosses his rope, a rope with a noose at the end of it, over a tree branch, the man suddenly spills his guts about the Scorched Donegan gang. Next panel, we see the man warning his son not to say a word as Luke and Jonah ride off in hot pursuit of their quarry. Sometime later, Jonah and the sheriff have succeeded in tracking down the outlaws. Jonah intends to take out the lookout man first, and Luke says he can do it all quiet-like using his expert knife-throwing skills as not to alert the others. But his throw is piss-poor, and he misses the lookout by a mile, getting his hat shot off his head in return. Hex guns the lookout, but the rest of the gang are going to be another matter. So Hex hatches a plan to sneak around the men while the sheriff covers him, but before he can even launch his plan, he turns to see the sheriff nonchalantly standing there loading his gun. He barks a warning to stay down, but it's too late and the lawman is hit. So Hex bends down over the man and holds him. He says, how a half-witted grasshopper like you has lived this long with that tin star I'll never know. Where did they get you? Only a scratch, Hex. I can keep firing while you go after him, but hurry! And good hunting, gunfighter. And we see Hex heading around some rocks to go after him as uh, Luke returns fire. 
Soon after, Scorch and his men notice the return fire has ceased. Thinking they either got Luke and Jonah, or that they might be playing possum, they come out of hiding to check, but Hex is waiting for them. Scorch's men are dead, and Scorch lays there up against the rocks, bleeding to death. He says, Doggone, never went up a firebrand like you before, mister. Too bad it were your last fight. My last fight? None of you skunks put any lead in me, Scorch. I'm not talking about lead, gunfighter. You're standing in quicksand. And we see Jonah swear. And I can only imagine what he's saying. It's just one word, so, you know, there's, uh, there's possibilities there with that. And he says, This is the dumbest stunt I ever pulled. And then from behind him we hear a voice say, Not quite the dumbest, Hex. And Hex turns and it's the sheriff on his horse. And he says, Believing I was a $50 a month ignorant bumbling sheriff was a lot dumber. Now drop your irons right quick. What's this all about, boy? And we see Hex dropping his uh, guns into the quicksand. Money, mister. Scorch and his stupid band of outlaws never could have gotten it without help. Without help from you, eh? Here, catch. And he throws Hex a rope. That's right. We see him dragging Hex out of the uh, quicksand with his horse. And he says, I gave them the information on which trips the money was being carried in their time schedules. And everybody in town thought they had a clown for a sheriff because I couldn't catch the outlaws. And he laughs. He says, that money satchel over by Scorch's body, Hex. Hand it to me. Hex goes over and retrieves it. And the sheriff says, remember, partner, I could have let you die a very unpleasant death in that quicksand if I'd had a mind to. Except you didn't. How come? Because I'm a scheming thief, not a murderer. Only way I think I could kill a man would be in self-defense. If you figure on trying me, partner, well, I'd hate to have to kill you in self-defense. Ain't nobody paid me to track you, boy, so get. Have I got your word on that? You've got my word. Good enough. All that's left for me to do is to head for the border. Got a cute little Mexican senorita waiting for me there. Adios, gunfighter. And we see the sheriff start to ride away as a hand holding a gun raises up behind him. As you turn the page, the sheriff gets it right in the back. We see Hex walk over and snatch the gun out of Scorch's hand. He says, cut a snake's head off and it still keeps on living. Just like you, Scorch. This time I'm going to make sure that... But Scorch is already dead. So Hex walks over to the sheriff and the sheriff is saying, Hex, you gave me your word. And I kept it. Because you saved my life. Scorch gunned you just before he quit breathing. Doggone. Might have known that son of a coyote wouldn't make his trip to hell alone. That cute little Mexican senorita was waiting for me. Sure gonna be disappointed. Huh. Not to mention a girl named Amy. Sometime later, we see Hex riding back into town. And he's got dead men draped over his horse and the sheriff's. And we see Amy wailing and she says, And his last thoughts were of me? Sure were, miss. Luke went down with his guns blazing away at them outlaws. And a thinking of no one else but his gal Amy. We see some other folks gather around. One of them says, Whew, that gunfighter and sheriff wiped out the entire Scorch gang. You think Mr. Hex would consider replacing our deceased peace officer? Not a chance. I heard him saying he's a-heading for the Mexican border tonight. And that's the end. Okay, now, I've never been to Mexico, so maybe I'm just talking out of my ass here, but I'm led to believe that the Mexican border is a pretty big frickin' place, right? I mean, it covers a lot of area, I'm guessing, right? So, this ending leads one to believe that Hex is just gonna, you know, head on down there and let this senorita know that uh, Luke won't be coming. And I want to know, precisely how does he plan to accomplish this? I mean, he doesn't have a name or a specific location. Just Mexican border and senoritas, the only details that, at least, that we're privy to in this story. You know, is is he going to travel to every border town cantina checking for wistful-looking young women? I mean, it's really silly when you think about it, so my guess is that you're probably not supposed to think about it. But beyond that, I like this one. I mean, it's not a great one, but it, it is a pretty good one. It's better than some. I still find it strange that Hex is not the lead feature, but that's a situation that's about to change. On the Hex feature... It's also very strange that there's no title, 
no splash page, and no credits. It's really, you know, truly feels like a backup feature, just like a no-name style backup feature, like some of the ones in last issue. And that's odd for a character that's clearly headed towards being the star of this book. Hex does have his new and ugly hat in this issue, despite the fact that he's wearing his old Confederate one on the cover. Now, this... uh this little headshot of, of Jonah, this would stick around for a while. Think back to like in the 80s when there were all those little John Byrne drawn Marvel heads, you know, like Cap and Spider-Man and all those guys that would appear up in the, the corner box on Marvel books, like say Avengers or whatever. That It's that style of uh, just a little headshot of the character. That one's going to stick around for a while. And he will have the Confederate hat, even though he does wear this just... I think horrible looking striped zebra looking hat for a while, but it won't stick around forever. This issue is an odd one with the, uh, you know, again, with the on again, off again, half face shadow thing going on, but it's really strange because you'll have an entire page where his face is entirely in shadow. And then you turn the page and he'll be doing something mundane, like just talking to someone or, or, you know, looking at something and his face is big and you see the entire scarred side of his face and then like the next couple of pages will be back to like you know it's all in shadow and not showing his face again it's really kind of strange there's no sudden dramatic reveal like in the very first story where he lit the match to reveal what his face looked like it's not used to any dramatic effect in this one so it's very strange that most of the time it's in shadow, but then there's a significant number of panels where it's not. Hex drops his weapons into the quicksand, and I can't help but wonder, are these his famed dragoons that such a big deal is made about later? I, I guess they're not, because I don't know how in the world he would be able to go back into the uh, quicksand to recover the weapons, but I thought it was worth noting. Some good ads this time around. I'm going to call this the All Sexual Stereotypes Edition for the ads because we've got a uh, Daisy Air Rifle ad that says, In 1894, a boy had to learn to act like a man. And a few pages later, we've got the uh, Easy Bake Ovens because at this time, I guess, you know, they thought the only thing a, a little girl needed to learn how to do was uh, go stand in the kitchen and make something. <laughs> we get the... Uh, 100-piece toy soldier set. And then we even get the classic uh, Charles Atlas ad. The insult that made a man out of Mac. I love this thing. Oh, Mac, you are a real man after all. <sighs> the letters page is very interesting. The first letter is written by Jim Whelan. And he writes the entire letter in that really annoying like Western script where, like, for the word I, like, like I am, he writes A-H, like ah, and for, it's just really bad. It's like, uh, let's see, I've got some here. Uh, just finish Weird Western Tales and shot effin', effin', you ain't gonna, you see, it's really, really hard to read. So I was like, I was really surprised they reprinted this letter because it had to be just a nightmare to read and and to type back into the book um another letter here from uh, steve mattingly really really praising jonah hex going on and on about how awesome the art is but the one that i thought had uh, was most noteworthy was one by john jackson about weird western tales number 13 says was good especially jonah hex though i didn't like the neil adams art on el diablo's the Night of the Living Dead. It was so unprofessional. I hope you will reprint some of the old greats like Johnny Thunder and Madam 44. I also hope you keep Jonah Hex. I was floored when I read this, as I'm sure that the guys in you know the DC offices at the time had to be. That art on Night of the Living Dead, that El Diablo story, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's Neil Adams at the absolute top of his game. And I don't know how anybody with two working eyes could look at that art and think it was anything short of just gorgeous and an artistic masterpiece. So can't agree with this particular letter. So that brings us to The Death Count. 
Death count for this issue? Jonah Hex shot six men. Death count overall tally for all issues so far. We've got two already dead, 23 shot, one stabbed, two allowed to die, one chased off a cliff, and one outdrawn. That's a total of 30 men killed by Jonah Hex so far. Next time around, Weird Western Tales, number 17. This issue, Weird Western Tales, number 16, is reprinted in Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales, number 2. And Showcase presents Jonah Hex, volume 1 trade paperback from 2006, which you can find at InStockTrades.com. For the Jonah Hex Podcast, I'm Scott Gardner. Thank you very, very much for listening. Feedback for this program can be sent to jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle stations! What are you scratching at? Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America, was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. 
Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents Spider-Man, Spider-Man Does whatever a spider can Spins a web any size Catches seeds just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. Life is a great big bang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find a Spider-Man. Hi, my name is Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, which explores the world of Superman and the many creators who have added to his legacy over the decades. Episodes will feature creator biographies or highlight some of their top stories they have created as well as their top characters. Other episodes will feature topics appropriate to the holiday or the time of the year. For instance, Valentine's Day will feature stories about the women in Superman's life. April Fool's Day will feature some of the bizarre Superman Silver Age stories or some of the imaginary stories that have been published. Halloween will feature some of the scary Superman stories or some of his strange transformations, and, of course, some of the Christmas Superman stories. The website can be found at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com. The blog is supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, and you can send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a spoiler-free comic book review blog of the titles I read every week, which can be found at mypolllist.blogspot.com, and you can send email about this blog to mypolllist at gmail.com.